Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. A little more of this chorus regarding the apostles. Kind of round it out, if you would, a little bit. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, (gasps) self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward is far, 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 really like light years away from <laughs> biblical nowadays and getting farther, you know, it's just, it's just getting worse. All right. So as promised yesterday, uh, we're, we're doing another light episode today and, uh, I will not be in studio tomorrow or next week. So, uh, heads up on that today. We will be listening to two folks. We will be listening to Dr. Alan Cairns and, uh, his, uh, lesson, are there apostles in the church today that will make up the first half of the program today. Second half, we're heading to Bethel Evangelical Free Church in uh, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent, uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, and listen to his sermon on the foundation of the apostles from the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. I just think that kind of rounding out this topic and you know would is really going to help us because my intention is uh, first episode of Fighting for the Faith when I get back the following week, we're going to come out swinging and uh, and uh, we're going to be putting out a response to the latest that uh, you know. <clears throat> Dr. Michael Brown has put out there, especially in regards to his conversation with Joseph Matera and his uh, discussion on the uh, ongoing fivefold ministry. It's it, kind of a little bit of a weird side note here, and that is is that um, the NAR guys are the ones who've been talking, you know, historically within the last two decades about uh, embracing the fivefold ministry. So I, I find it weird that he. 
you know, Michael Brown, not part of the NAR, but he embraces the fivefold ministry and uh, believes that there are, are apostles today. So, but like I said, we'll save our response for, a, you know, not, not next week, but the following week. So without any further ado, let's get into the first half of the program today. Here's Dr. Alan Cairns. Are there apostles in the church today? Are there apostles in the church today? Simple answer, no, they're not. Uh, there are certain offices, and when we talk about an apostle, we're talking about an office. When people take the title apostle, they are claiming an office. The office of the apostle was given to a limited number of men, and it was never passed on to those who followed them. Strictly, the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in New Testament terms and times, there were men who had the designation apostle given to them, uh, men like, for example, Barnabas, and uh, they were not strictly among the original apostles. They were apostolic in a broader sense. But still, they were in that time period, and furthermore, they were closely associated with the original apostles, and furthermore, they had uh, in their ministry the marks and signs of those apostles. That is something that was never passed on. Now, there were others who did claim the title. The apostle John got the message from Christ when he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he commended the, the Christians who tried those who claimed to be apostles, who said they were apostles, and they were not. People today who claim to be apostles are claiming an office to which the Bible gives them no right. They claim an office, the standards of which they do not and can not meet. Therefore, the claim is false. Now, does the Bible say that you shall call no man an apostle? No, it doesn't. But the prohibitions of Scripture and the commands of Scripture are settled also, not just by uh, the words, but by the example and the usage of Scripture. And since the apostolic office was at a given time for a given people, then we can conclude quite rightly that it does not belong to people today. One has to say, however, that the word apostle comes from the verb that means to send. An apostle was a sent one. In that sense, every Christian witness is an apostle. He doesn't have the title because the title has a connotation that is much more than simply one sent by God. It's one sent by God under certain circumstances with certain powers and certain prerogatives. And I fear that's why many people are taking the title today. They're trying to assume an authority and a prerogative, a dictatorial position in the church that they couldn't have if they were simply preachers or ministers. And they do not have any right to that. Let me explain very simply. If the Apostle Paul came to a church, or the Apostle Peter, when he spoke 
He spoke with authority. His word was a binding word. It was the final authority. When he spoke, he spoke with authority. When people take the title apostle, they are arrogating to themselves that same authority. And I tell you, no man has that authority. That authority is vested by the Spirit of God in the final finished revelation of God, which is his holy word, the Bible. And everything that every preacher claims, be he pope, priest, pastor, or so-called apostle, must be subjected to the word of God. And if the Bible doesn't say it, then no man has any right to bind anybody's conscience by what he is saying. An apostle did have binding authority. These men who claim to be apostles today most certainly do not. And in arrogating it to themselves, they are certainly acting in defiance of Scripture. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. The response to these broadcasts has been most encouraging. Your words of appreciation and support mean a great deal to us as we seek to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. From time to time, we're able to offer various of our publications to those who request them. We're pleased to announce that the newest edition of Let the Bible Speak quarterly magazine is now available. 
The principal focus of this issue is the great revival which took place in Ulster in 1859, a moving of God's Holy Spirit which saw literally thousands of people swept into the kingdom of God. Five of our Free Presbyterian ministers will deal with various aspects of the revival. Also, this issue contains another in a series of articles about the founding fathers of the Free Presbyterian Church. In this issue, you'll read about the life and ministry of the Reverend John Wiley. You may have a free copy of the magazine simply by asking for it. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. You may email us at ltbs at freeprez.org. That's ltbs at f-r-e-e-p-r-e-s dot o-r-g. Or you may telephone us toll free at 866-877-LTBS. That's 866-877-5827. Also, if you enjoy the program, you may like to visit our website, Let the Bible Speak Radio, or ltbsradio.com. Don't forget the word radio, ltbsradio.com. In this connection, we'd like to call your attention to a series of video features on the website. In these video clips, Dr. Cairns answers questions from both believers and non-believers regarding various issues, such as why did Christ have to be baptized, how do we know the Bible is the Word of God, and what is the greatest need of the church today. These video portions are listed under Q&A with Alan Cairns. You're sure to find these presentations to be informative and enlightening. Q&A with Alan Cairns is found on ltbsradio.com. tell you the only way that this nation can be moved is when the wind of God blows in all its fullness in all its sovereign power. Oh, for the wind of God. 
the sovereignty of the Spirit. Closely allied to the idea of the wind is the breath. The breath speaks of the vitality of the Spirit. John chapter 20 and verse 22 is a very significant statement. When he had said this, what had he said? My fa- as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Right? When he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Of course, the very word spirit has the basic meaning of breath. Back in Genesis, there's a very significant reference in chapter 2 and in verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Here's the breath of the Spirit. There's no life without the Spirit of God. Now let me say that's true first of all in salvation. Salvation is not something that is contained in any external acts that you do or are done to you. You can read the Bible and go to hell. You can say your prayers and go to hell. You can join the church and perish. You can be baptized and be made wetter, but no better. I tell you, my friend, today, without the Spirit of God, there's no life. That's true in salvation. That's why Jesus said, ye must be born again. I fear we have many people around the country today who are damned in their church membership because they have never been born again. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of life. If it's true of salvation, it's equally true of service. Without the Spirit, there's death. Remember what we read there in uh, Genesis 2 and 7. God formed Adam. Now, if you could have seen that body, it was a perfect body. I have no doubt that the first man was the most perfect specimen of manhood. His physical frame was the most perfectly formed frame that could possibly have been. For he came straight from the hand of God. And when God saw what he had done, he said it was good. But can you see him there? God formed him of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into him. What would Adam have been without the breath that God breathed into him, making him truly to live? And what are churches today nicely formed 
Oh, they have everything that would make them pleasing to the eye. But yet they are lacking the breath, the vitality of the Spirit of God. Oh, how we need the Holy Ghost to come in our midst. I was speaking to Reverend Ivan Foster and his wife when I was back home doing the video on the history of the free church. I was speaking to them about their Christian school. And I spoke at some length to them because they pioneered this movement in Ireland. They have a very wonderful school, not a terribly big school, about 50 pupils just, but one of the best schools I have ever had the privilege of going into. I was talking to them about the problems of Christian education. Mr. Foster then was given a, a brief to speak at the World Congress of Fundamentalists on the Christian education's internal problems. He was asked specifically to address the overlap of responsibilities between the youth pastor and the school administrator. He said, I have a very easy answer for that one. Very easy answer. In the scriptures I find that there are uh, officers. He went down the officers. And one of them is pastor. I haven't yet found the youth pastor, so if he's causing the problem, simply fire him. Because he's not even in the Bible anyway. Uh, that's what you call cutting the Gordian nut. Well, we talked about these problems. And it was his wife who said, Christian education in so many places has all the equipment, has all the buildings, has all the personnel with the proper degrees and the proper training. like Adam's perfectly formed body. It lacks the breath of the Spirit of God. And if that's true of many a school, I want to tell you it's true of many a church. God save us from trying to operate without the Holy Ghost. We need the breath, the vitality of God. The fourth symbol of the Spirit is that of fire. Surely the fire would speak of the potency of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to get into a little controversial area of a controversial area here. You may not know it simply by what I say, but uh, just in case you read something different, you'll know that I'm going against what many, especially dispensational writers, believe on this text. Matthew 3, verses 11 and 12. You'll find the same thing in Luke 3, 16 and 17. We read Matthew, verse 11 of chapter 3, the words of John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into garner, into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
There are those who want us to believe that the baptizing with the Holy Ghost is saving you, and baptizing you with fire is damning you, and that there is a world of difference, obviously, between them. And to prove that, they say the next verse, verse 12, speaks of judgment. Well, obviously, verse 12 speaks of judgment. The work of the Holy Spirit is always a work of segregation and separation, the wheat from the chaff, and separating the one to life and the other to damnation. But I can't recall the Lord Jesus ever speaking of man being baptized by God to hell. Baptizing with the Holy Ghost and with fire seems to me to be the same mighty saving operation of God. It is a fire in all its saving and purifying fullness and power that delivers you from the other fire of the wrath of God in hell forever. This is the operation of the Spirit. And it came to pass, of course, in Acts chapter 2, when the tongues were like as of fire. That seems to me to settle what the Lord Jesus was speaking about when he said you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When the Holy Spirit came upon his people, he came upon them like tongues of fire. Now let me say to you, I've been saying we need the wind of the Spirit. We need the breath of the Spirit. Yes, I like the old-fashioned praying. I think of the early Methodists and how they prayed. Now, you'll know that in many points of theology, I'm not a Methodist. But I want to tell you, I'd rather be a Methodist on fire for God than to be some of these egghead people today who could laugh at the old early Wesleyans because of their holy ruling and their tears and their agonies and their cryings and their shoutings, but they haven't an ounce of spiritual power about them. Man, those old early Methodists and Salvation Army people used to be crying, Lord, baptize us with fire. I believe in that kind of praying. Oh, I know that there are people whose theology is so refined that they say, Oh, we don't pray now to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Well, it's about time we did then. Baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The church of Jesus Christ is never meant to function as a cold, dead, powerless thing. It's not how Christ meant it to function. There is to be in her the ministry of the living spirit characterized by fire. Now I want to tell you when fire is present, there are some people who are going to get burned. You can't get fire without getting burned. There are some people, and they find that there's a lot of dross, and a lot of the stubble of the world, a lot of the chaff of disobedience that needs to be burned up in their lives. I would say that it's time for us to pray, Lord, send the fire. That mighty purifying fire that will burn up the stubble and the dross in my life. Where there's fire, there's warmth. God knows in this day of externals, when we simply say and do the right things and look good, 
There is a, a, a mighty necessity for the heart-warming influence of the Holy Ghost. When the Lord Jesus spoke after his resurrection to those on the road to Emmaus, did they not say, did not our hearts burn within us? There's the potency of the Spirit. All right. What'd you think? Okay, we're going to take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. When we come back, uh, we'll finish off today's program with Pastor Charmley's sermon on the foundation of the apostles. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Flying. They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF Audacity. This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. Two arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Aye aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. We mustn't let them get the better of us. Call it the Praise Band Drummer and Man Battle Station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, let's keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to the Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. 
It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose! Let loose the cannons! But, but we're not within violence! If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. i say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into the port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! Ha! You call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why Why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready, aim, fast. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Safety is 
with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back! We, we, we can't lose! We have God on our side! We shall prevail! We will... Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there are no apostles in the church today. And we're not talking about missionaries. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. 
One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you decide. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Similarly, if you'd like to support us by becoming a patron on Patreon, that it kind of works the same. Uh, but you pick the actual dollar amount down, you know, you know, higher than each rank or whatever or lower. Um, but uh, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, part two of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith an exegesis of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley of Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley Stoke-on-Trent, and the name of the message is The Foundation of the Apostles. Here we go. Our Gospel reading this morning is found in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. Luke chapter 6 and the first 19 verses. Luke has recorded the beginnings of serious opposition to the Lord Jesus by the Pharisees and the scribes, even after the Lord told them that he came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Luke 6, 1 through 19. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is, Lord, is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to destroy. And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he, named, whom he also named Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear to hear him and to be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all and may God bless the reading of his holy gospel our text this morning is taken from our gospel reading the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 6 and verse 13. When it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he, also, he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. The Lord Jesus Christ came proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He came proclaiming repentance, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he has established his church. He has said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And at the foundation of his church, there are the apostles. The apostles who were chosen by Christ to be the first eyewitnesses, the foundation. And that's why, of course, there are no apostles today, because you don't have a foundation always above ground. It's been fascinating watching week by week the, the new houses being built at the top of Cobridge Bank on Waterloo Road, and seeing first the foundations being laid, and then the various courses of brick and breeze block on top and now they're putting the roofs on and the foundations are safely underground the work begins with the foundations and the church is a building of living stones founded upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and here we have Christ choosing his apostles, choosing the men who would be the foundation. And we see first of all his prayer. He prayed. Then we see the persons that he chose. And thirdly, the purpose for which they were called. So first there is the prayer. Verse 12 begins, now it came to pass in those days. In those days it happened. Which days? Well, this is, of course, why we read from the beginning of the chapter. 
Because it was those days when the opposition against Christ was intensifying. In those days when the scribes and the Pharisees were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And of course we know what they decided to do. They decided to kill him. They decided that he had to die one way or the other. And he knew all these things. We are told that he knew their thoughts, verse 8. Christ knows the thoughts of men's hearts. And it's something that we are told in the Gospels. That this was one facet, one part of his divine ability that he did not lay aside, but that he looked into the hearts of men. We can't do that. We can only look at the outward. And so we can be deceived as human beings. There are many people who go into the world who try to deceive in many ways. One of the big, I think, to a fair extent, bugbears that's been in the, the media the last couple of years is this idea of fake news. That is, websites that look like they're reporting the news, but actually they're just stuff that's been made up. Sometimes you look at it, you think it's clever satire. A lot of the time it's just people being silly and trying to trick people on the other side politically into sharing utter nonsense that's just been made up. But you see people look at these things, they think, well, it it sounds true, and they share it. And the reality is that this whole website and everything on it is there just to deceive people. There's so much deception in the world. There are con artists who spend all their time trying to deceive other people. And they're very, very plausible people, con artists. But the Lord Jesus Christ was never deceived because he knew the hearts of men. Here were the Pharisees plotting in secret saying, we've got to kill this fellow eventually. But he knew. He knew the opposition. And of course, since he is the Lord Jesus Christ, since he is God incarnate, he didn't deceive himself. He wasn't fooled into thinking that things were other than they are. He saw everything incredibly clearly. He saw ahead of him the road that would lead him to the cross. And yet he ran that race despising that shame. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that the religious leadership, the people who were supposed to be looking forward to Messiah coming, wanted to get rid of Messiah so that they could carry on saying, well, we're all waiting for Messiah here. When all the while they were thinking to themselves, we've got ourselves a good gig here as long as Messiah doesn't come. The shadow of the cross fell over him. In those days when the shadow of the cross was growing darker and darker, he went out to the mountain to pray. He went to pray. The God-man went to pray. 
Now there are folk, our Muslim neighbours, some of them will say, well, if Jesus was God, why did he pray? And our reply to our Muslim neighbours is, do you really think that the perfect man would be an atheist? Because you see, the Muslims are, have this idea that God is one person as well as one being. But the Bible reveals very clearly that which we cannot, we can never fit our head around, but that we can know that God is God in three persons. That there is one being of God. And in the one being of God are three glorious persons. And how this works we cannot know, we cannot understand. And if we try, we end up straining our brains. God is greater than we are. And God the Son incarnate prayed to God the Father. And he was anointed by God the Holy Spirit. And here we have God the Son, God incarnate, communing all night with the Father. For he was a perfect man, he is a perfect man. He was then a perfect man here on earth, a perfect pre-resurrection man. He is now a perfect resurrected man, the only perfect resurrected man. And he, like any true human being, was dependent upon the Father and poured out his soul to the Father. And here he is an example to us in any undertaking, in anything that we do. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Great things and small things. Never think that something is too ordinary to take it to God in prayer, nor that anything is too great to take to God in prayer. Every matter of our lives, we can take it to him in prayer. There is nothing unspiritual in praying over things that we think are worldly like insurance premiums like repair to the car that sort of thing these are things your father cares for everything and of course in this matter of the church in particular the leadership of the church Christ went unto the father he strengthened himself and again we are reminded here is great David's greater son and King David Long before, when he was confronted with all the troubles, all the trouble in the world, when he came back to the city of Ziklag and found it destroyed and the wives and children carried away into captivity, David comforted himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God because he is the source of the strength of all his people. And Jesus Christ as well as any man depended on the strength received from the Father who is in heaven. And he went to pray to pray that they, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
might indeed the following day call out those who would be the apostles. And of course, he knew who he would call, so he was praying for them. He prayed for those who would lead the church after his ascension. And we bring one another to the Lord in prayer. We pray for all church leaders. Of course, first of all, we pray for the the leaders of this church. But we pray for the leaders of all churches. It is a high and a heavenly calling. So Christ prayed. He prayed to strengthen himself. He prayed for those he would call. And it's a marvellous thing. But we know that he intercedes for his people now. In the hour of trial, says the hymn writer, Jesus, pray for me. When the hour of trial came for the, apostle, for the apostles, for all the disciples, that is the hour that Christ was betrayed, given up and crucified, he told them, I have prayed for you, when he said to Peter specifically, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And he prays, he intercedes now in heaven for us. What a marvellous thing that is to remember that he is still the God-man. That human heart he still retains, though throned in highest bliss. What a marvellous thing that is to know. That he is the God-man. He is the same yesterday, today and forever in his character. If he prayed for his disciples then, he prays for his disciples now. And then we come, secondly, to the persons whom he chose. The persons. And first of all, all of those apostles were, before they were apostles, they were disciples. He called his disciples to himself. A disciple is simply a learner. Jesus had the character of a rabbi, a teacher. One who, and they were very common in Israel in those days. The, originally, God's intention was, God's command was that the Levites should be the teachers of Israel. That's why they were scattered through Israel, that they might be the teachers that tribe. But the Levites, many of them, and we find this recorded sadly in various parts of the scriptures. We find it in the book of Judges, for example, with Moses' own grandson who became an idolatrous priest. The Levites, many of them fell away. Many of them didn't teach. They also had a problem that quite often the Levites weren't receiving the, the tithes and offerings they should be receiving so that they had to go and work the land more than to teach. As has been mentioned on Wednesday, God willing, I shall be giving a presentation on the Wesleys and Epworth and one of the things you see yeah, will be in the presentation a little bit about how Samuel Wesley, the father of John and Charles, had to keep sheep and goats to supplement his income. It's part of his income as a minister. He was 
by all accounts an appallingly bad farmer, and it probably cost him far, far more to try to be a sheep breeder than he ever got by it. But it's having to, to do this secondary work. But also, and the biggest problem with the Levites was that many of them were unspiritual. And so there arose in Israel people like the scribes and the Pharisees, people who weren't Levites, and yet who studied the Bible and taught the Bible. The scribes, the people who, first of all, their their job, of course, as scribes, was they they were the copyists, the people who copied the Bible. Pre-printing press, someone had to do it. But because they copied the Bible, they knew what it said. They, They copied with understanding. They didn't just, and there are some manuscripts we know of the the New Testament, where the copyist didn't know the language he was writing. But he just copied letter by letter what was in front of him. But the scribes in Israel, they knew Hebrew. They knew the language. And they taught out of the Bible. And the rabbis were traveling teachers and they would gather around themselves disciples Learners, people who listened, who hung on their every word. And Jesus took the character of such. He had his disciples who followed him and listened to him. And of course it wasn't like these days we've got our colleges and learning centres in our cities and people will go along to lectures And of course you've often got students who entered at university who won't go along to lectures. I remember when I was at university, the early morning lectures would be very sparsely attended. And we'd know there were students who just couldn't get up, couldn't get there in time. But it wasn't just a matter of going to lectures, it was a matter of living with the rabbi, following him, listening to his every word. Martin Luther... In later life, he had many students who would live with him in his house. And they would literally sit at the dinner table and there'd be someone writing down the conversation. And all some of this is, these notes got published years later as Martin Luther's table talk. That's what happened with a rabbi. They eat meals with him. I remember when I was at uh, seminary in London... And our lecturers would always eat meals with the students. It was such a blessing to be there with these learned men of God. But of course, far better to have Jesus there teaching. Disciples are lifelong learners. Every believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why we we read the Bible. We study the Bible. We let the Bible sink down into us that we may know the words of Christ. My great aunt used to, when she was riding a bicycle to work in in Canterbury, obviously she didn't ride very fast and she rode very carefully, she would have between the handlebars a psalm on a piece of board. So she'd be memorising a psalm on the way to work. I don't recommend that with cars, it's very dangerous. But that sort of thing, you can have it play, perhaps playing on a CD or something, and let the words of God sink down into your heart. So all Christians are disciples. 
But then we have the apostles. And that was a a special calling. Because all of God's people are equally disciples. But we all have different callings. We are called into various functions in life. Functions in family, functions at work, functions in in other relationships. And these various callings are different. We all have different callings, different giftings which God has given. But all are equal before God. But within there you have here, and this is of course the apostles, they were a unique calling. And they were called out. And the name apostle means one who is sent out. One who is sent. The idea is rather that of an ambassador, an emissary. Someone who has a message from the king. A message of great importance. And he is a messenger. But we look at the men who are described. What were they like? You've got Simon, whom he also named Peter. He's the the one of the twelve we probably know the most about is Simon Peter. He was uh, the spokesman in many ways, largely because he was the man who, rather than not saying what he was thinking, said it, even if it was something that was a bit daft. But he was a a man who spoke his mind. He was a, a, a rough fisherman in many ways. Andrew, his brother... Andrew is noted for one thing, which is that when he was called, he said, he went and told his brother and said to his brother, we've found the Messiah, come and see him. He was a man ready and willing to take others to Jesus. James and John, they're always listed together in the Gospels. The sons of thunder they were known, quite possibly because they were men of, had perhaps a bit of a temper, men who certainly were great speakers, men who sometimes sought to be very, very important. Philip, we're not told much about Philip, but we know that Philip had a, a Greek name. And the Greeks came to him seeking to be brought to Jesus. They said, Sir, will you, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip was a man who outsiders went to. Bartholomew, we know very little about Bartholomew. Matthew, Matthew, otherwise Levi, the tax collector, an educated man, but a man who had a bit of a dodgy background. Thomas. Doubting Thomas, we know him as. He was the man who seems to be in a bit of a gloomy temper when Jesus said that they were going to Lazarus. Lazarus had died. Thomas said, if we go to Jerusalem, you'll be the next one to die. And we're going. And Thomas said, well, we'll go, let's go and die with him then. He seems to be a bit gloomy, a bit uh, pessimistic. And after the resurrection, Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I touch him, put my fingers in the wounds. Because he just couldn't, couldn't accept that Jesus was alive again. He knew he was dead. 
So he was a bit of a gloomy fellow. James, the son of Alphaeus, we know nothing very much about James, the son of Alphaeus. Simon called the Zealot, we only know that he's called the Zealot. The Zealots were the, the Jewish liberation movement. He was a, a terrorist, basically, an ex-terrorist. And God calls people. Here you've got Matthew on the one hand, who was a collaborator with, the, with Herod, a collaborator with the Romans, a traitor in the eyes of men. And on the other hand, you've got Simon the Zealot, who was one of the men who saw him as a traitor. And yet these two men are brought together in Christ Jesus. There, you see, it doesn't matter what we are before we become Christians once we're in the church. Once someone has become a Christian, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. It's in, in Christ that Jew and Arab can sit down in Jerusalem and worship together. That former Irish Catholic and Orangeman can sit down together to worship because those identities have passed away in Christ. That it doesn't matter what the past situation was. If anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. No, Simon the Zealot wasn't demanding that Matthew keep on stating repentance for having been a tax collector. And Matthew wasn't saying to Simon, you should keep on expressing regret that you were ever a terrorist. No, they were brothers in Christ Jesus. Then there was Judas, the son of James. We know again nothing about this man other than that he was not Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot also became a traitor, the odd one out there. The one who was chosen. Not because he would do some high thing, but because he would betray his calling. He would betray the Lord. We know that he was the, the one who was the treasurer and helped himself from the treasury. And Christ knew this. Christ knew who he was and he knew that Judas Iscariot, far from rising to the high calling, would collapse, would fall into wickedness and treachery because of it. Judas was an ungodly man in his heart. He was a man who seemed to be a disciple. The others looked at him and thought, he's just like us. But he was an ungodly man. And at last he betrayed the Lord Jesus for money. And in a fit of remorse, took his own wretched life. He followed Jesus it seemed and yet that following was not a true following and it's a solemn thing that there are many who have begun the Christian life so it seems well and have ended even as Judas in apostasy and treachery may God have mercy but we note these are all ordinary people 
None of these were university graduates. Matthew was an ordinary tax collector. He wasn't one of the, the boss men. He wasn't someone high up in the civil service. He was somewhere, somewhere down in the civil service. Simon Peter, Andrew, these were fishermen. These were relatively well-off fishermen. They were people who owned their own fishing business. James and John, partners with their father. But these were ordinary businessmen. They were the sort of people the Pharisees and the scribes looked down on because, however good they might be at fishing, well, they hadn't been to the right schools, the right colleges. They were ordinary men. God chose 12 ordinary men because he generally does use ordinary people. Look around. Ordinary people whom God chooses to use. And so we come thirdly to the purpose. Why were they called? Well, they were apostles. The apostles were called to pass on the teaching of Jesus An apostle, an emissary, somebody who was sent out with a message from the king. Not with a commission to do do whatever they like. An ambassador is sent out with a specific commission. A commission to proclaim the message that the monarch, the king, tells them to bring. The apostles were there to pass on the teaching of Christ. That's why they're on the foundation After Christ rose from the dead, the apostles went out preaching. And most of them, we don't really know where they went. Although we've got the book called The Acts of the Apostles, which is Luke's volume 2, really concentrates on only a few of the apostles. Peter, James, Peter, John, and particularly on the Apostle Paul, who of course Luke knew personally. And we know that they travelled over the Roman Empire preaching, and that Paul had a specific commission to Gentiles. Peter regarded himself as particularly having a commission to Jewish people. There are stories about Thomas going to India, and others travelling Elsewhere in, in and even beyond the Roman Empire. And they went talking about the Lord Jesus. Passing on his teaching. Because as we, as we read last week. In the commission that Jesus gave his disciples. Before his ascension in Matthew 28. What did he tell them to do? He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the apostles are there to pass on his teaching. We have in the Gospels... Two of the Gospels are written specifically by apostles, Matthew and John. We have in Luke a man who was very close to the Apostle Paul and who had spoken to many, many people. We have with Mark, the old, well, the, the long-standing tradition is that Mark 
wrote down the notes of what the Apostle Peter taught. And of course we also have the the letters of the Apostles in the New Testament. And we're told what the Apostles taught. And the Apostles are the people through whom God gave us the New Testament. So what they taught is recorded in the New Testament. Now those out there who talk about apostolic tradition, but the only apostolic tradition that we actually have is the New Testament. This is what God has given. And the apostles are foundational because one of the one of the great qualifications to be an apostle was to have met the risen Lord. The eleven met him. He met with Paul on the road to Damascus. And they went proclaiming the word of God. It's notable that what happened as soon as he had commissioned the apostles. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. This is people from all over. And it's an object lesson that Jesus is teaching his apostles. He's saying, your mission as apostles is to go to all nations. Not just Judea and Jerusalem, that's the Jews, but Tyre and Sidon, this is the Gentiles. That the apostolic mission is to the whole world. And here they see these people standing there. And they, they came to hear Jesus. You see, the first thing we're told they came to do isn't to be healed, but to hear Jesus. And again, the, the apostles are being taught here by example. The first thing, what your job is, Jesus is saying to them, is that people can hear me. That people can hear me because how shall they call upon him whom they haven't in whom they have not believed, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? The apostles were first and foremost preachers. And their job was to give us, and all, of course, all generations between them and us, the word of Christ, the message of Christ, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's the word of Christ that we need. Because they came to hear him. Now when you go to a church meeting, when you go to a Christian conference, who do you go to hear? You should go to hear Christ. People ask me sometimes, I was asked the other week, well, who's speaking at the Banner of Truth conference this week, this year, to the end of this month? I don't know. Because I don't go there to hear so and so, such and such. I go there to hear Jesus. I go there to hear him. And that should be our aim whenever we go to any meeting where there is preaching and teaching. To hear Jesus speaking through his servants. They went. The people came to hear Jesus. 
That's what we need. That's what everybody needs to hear Jesus. That's why, why we share the gospel with people. That they can hear Jesus. George Whitfield, the great preacher, one of the great preachers of the 18th century revival, said, let the name of Whitfield perish if Christ will be glorified thereby. That's what we want. Let our names disappear. Because it's all about Jesus Christ. Because he's the one we want to hear. Many a man has gone to listen to a, a celebrated preacher and has been disappointed in that. One of the, the Puritans, when it's recorded of him, he went to hear a celebrated London preacher, got to the church and it was a supply. And he thought, great, the celebrated preacher's away preaching somewhere else. He sat there in the pew and he heard Jesus Christ for the first time in his entire life, preaching straight to his heart. He said, I never could remember who the supply preacher was. He was unimportant. He heard Christ. I've mentioned many times the wonderful story of Spurgeon's conversion. He went into the church, and the minister was absent, and a lay preacher who hadn't done any preparation had to take the service and Spurgeon could never remember who the man was but he heard Christ and that's what the apostles were sent to do that we may hear Christ through them that we may hear him and we may be healed not physically necessarily but spiritually what does it matter if the body is healed and the soul is thrown into hell but if the soul is healed, where then we hear Jesus. So we here have the foundation of the church prepared, the apostolic foundation. And we see the prayer of Jesus is behind that foundation. He laid it with prayer. He made it of ordinary people. Called out by him from his disciples for this extraordinary work. And he laid it for this one purpose. That we may hear Jesus. God grant that we do through his apostles in the Holy Scriptures. Amen. Amen. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition... Or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till the following week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.